I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Welcome! It's another week of AMI Audiobook Review, weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm Ramia Amadhan with Jacob Shymansky and Nisreen Abdel-Majid. Uh, I gotta say, the quote of the week is a really, really good one. Jacob, obviously, because you picked it, and uh, tell us why. No, 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 we're not doing this like that this we're time. We're not? Okay? No, 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 you're telling me what this means, because... Uh, I'm not too mean? sure. Yo, this this it's quote so is breaking good. my brain. What is he trying to say here? <laughs> Who is he, by the way? Who's it's Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings. He says this nice. when he's addressing the community at like his hundredth something really? birthday party. So, okay, yeah. the first part is pretty clear. He okay. doesn't know everyone there I, as much as he would like to. It's the second part that confuses me. And I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Yeah, because you don't know anyone well enough and we make all kinds of judgments about people like you, nah, not a fan, but do they really deserve it? You know what I mean? Is that what that means? Yeah. They, they don't really deserve the judgment. Pre-judgment. No, exactly. And like people have deeper stories than we give them credit for. And maybe if you got to oh. know them a little, you may not. Wow, really? And I like less than half of you, half as well mm-hmm. as you deserve. Okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. So Bilbo's admitting that he needs to take more time with his with his people to get to know them. Bilbo's admitting that he needs to take more time with people before judging them. Yes. yes. Or like preconceived notions and stuff like that. Anyways, this is going to be a fun conversation because we're bringing on the voice that you're hearing. I want to tell you a little <laughs> bit more about this person. We've spoken in the past about um, audiobook producers audiobook production it comes up in some context or another at least twice a month on this show jacob and um basically about production being a huge part of the project is it a good production is it a bad production uh reputations here and there in and out of our own judgment and um preferences as well there's so many small decisions that producers make that end up making a huge deal of and Go into the actual audiobooks that we spend hours and hours consuming. Obviously, we do because we're the audiobook review people. Um, And this week, our guest to talk more about this and really, really get into the nitty-gritty of it is Caleb Stahl, the technical director of the audiobook program at Penguin Random House Canada. And he's involved in many of the stages of production for the audiobooks that they produce out of their studios right close to home here in downtown Toronto. So we're talking sound recording with you today, Caleb, engineering sessions and directing sessions because you do it all Welcome to the show. Wow, thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Mm-hmm. Where, wherever electronically here is, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Not too far. We're, we're all in Toronto right now. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Also, Caleb, because you chimed in on the quote right away because we had your mic on. And uh, you told us right before we started recording <laughs> that this was apropos of us to be using this quote right now. Why? Perfect timing. Um, I was home with a cold uh, last week, and for my comfort watching, I watched Lord of the Rings again. So perfect <laughs> to get that quote. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Um, let's start with your career path. Like, how is it uh-huh. that you got into uh, the the position that you're working at right now at Pen- Penguin Random House? Yeah, I, I kind of came in through the side door. Um, 
<laughs> I my history uh, is in audio, all things audio. I, I worked in recording studios, making records, uh, and then I got into live sound and corporate sound, uh, and then eventually post production uh, for TV and film, and on set uh, sound as well. Uh, so on set recording, and um, I was um, that kind of lifestyle is is quite life swallowing. Uh, right, you know, the hours yeah. are long. And I was kind of looking for something a little bit more balanced. And I, <laughs> I saw a listing on LinkedIn of all places for um, an audio engineer at the budding uh, audiobook program uh, at uh, Canada Penguin Random House. And so, yeah, I applied for it. And, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. So Right, because mm. that world of um, like music production, there's a lot of late nights and going out to, to shows late at night on weekends and weeknights. Um, it, it, does that mean that at Penguin Random House, it's more standard hours? It's more, uh, more workman-like? It is. Um, this is the first job where I've actually held corporate hours, if you can believe it. Um, oh, that's nice. And so that, that was refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Coming from the weekends and evenings, as you're talking about, of, of my previous audio experience, this was quite refreshing. Yeah. So what exactly is it that you do on a daily basis? Sure. Um, well, they brought me on... Um, in 2017 and I spent some time building up the two studios that we have, uh, in house. Um, and while also, um, engineering many of the sessions that were coming through and also getting some of the director assignments. So yeah, my day to day is, um, engineering sessions, um, prepping and then directing some sessions. I also vet and, um, onboard all of the external suppliers that we, we use. Um, we don't do everything in house. Uh, there's just so much uh, post production and so many moving parts that we just we just can't handle all of the technical stuff in house. So we employ a number of freelancers and other companies that specialize in audiobook post production. So they generally handle most of the editing. I do do some editing here and there, but um, we we generally leave that to our our external suppliers. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm vetting them and, and training them, onboarding them on our technical spec specifications, making sure that they're delivering what we need. And mostly, I mean, <laughs> to boil down, uh, half of my job is really problem solving, you know? Um, really? Yeah, production, um, especially when we're dealing with the human voice instrument is a lot of problem solving. So, uh, you know, this doesn't, this studio is not delivering good audio, we have to, you know, investigate that why is that happening there's a noise here noise there something like that um is this person was ill is their voice matching you know those kind of questions um, right so i kind of dip in to, to to all the projects we have going on when something technical like that comes up um when there's any sort of uh you know question that that uh you know needs my ears i guess um, so yeah so i i do a lot of things <laughs> that's a lot um yeah, so a lot of different diverse uh, duties in my job. So when you say like matching the voice, do you mean like from one session to another, uh, the sound mm -hmm. is different and it would sound jarring to the listeners? Is that what you mean? Absolutely, yeah. Um, huh. You know, we do a lot of error correction, what we call pickups, which is essentially just you know um, solving the errors that were that were made in the original read. So we'll go back and we'll redo um, sections or or sentences or that sort of thing, and have to drop mm -hmm. them into the edit. 
Uh, and so voice matching becomes crucial there, just so, it, like you said, it's not jarring for the listener when a new sound uh, environment kind of pops up in the narrative. Um, also, because of scheduling, I mean, scheduling is such a big uh, part of the uh, the audiobook battle. Um, we will sometimes have to switch studios um, in the middle of a project. It is, it is not ideal, but it sometimes happens. And so matching audio between studios um, can be a bit of an issue. Yeah, because, you know, this part of it is quite interesting to me. We obviously take, let's say, an 18-hour audiobook, and mm-hmm. it is it could easily just be us listening for 18 hours to this person, this voice and this, you know, seamless project. But that could have taken how many sessions, uh, how many retakes or mm-hmm. pickups and, you know, sessions where people weren't just feeling great or performance. We had an, uh, an audiobook narrator on the other week, Julia Whalen, and I talked a lot about that, just the, you know, what it's like to record an audiobook, how many sessions it takes, how long you go mm-hmm. and then say, I'm out, I got to come back tomorrow yeah. for the rest of this kind of thing. But there is a lot of not just the narrator, but a lot of you guys putting all that stuff together so that at the end of the day, it feels like one seamless piece. Yeah, that that is the aim is to mm-hmm. um, to make the, the, the listening experience feel linear and, and all of one piece. Um, yeah. Is there some way to make it consistent? Like the consistency aspect around the problem solving and the troubleshooting? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it, you know, it falls a lot to the director and the, and the actor themselves, narrator themselves, and the engineer to, um, to just be paying attention to setup and, and trying to use the same gear. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, 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 we make a lot of clips for reference, so we're constantly listening back to what we've done, making sure that it's, that it's matching mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing. I mean, all to say, you know, also, the listener's ear, there is there is a little bit of allowance there, um, you know. Uh, sometimes. Some list- yeah, sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, we've heard some iffy there- audiobooks before. Yeah, of course, well, yes, yes, me too, me too, me too. Is Jim sick this day? Oh, this <laughs> chapter's pretty rough. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, you know, I, I run into a lot of people, a lot of audiobook fans, and they'll say, oh, that you work in audiobooks, great. Well, I'm going to tell you about this audiobook that I listened to that I hated, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll have to be like, oh, we didn't publish that one, but it's still like I have to answer Thanks, for though. all... I have right. to answer for all audiobook sins, right? <laughs> because I work in the in the industry. <laughs> That's um, hard. Yeah, and and uh, oftentimes their major complaint is that they can't connect with the narrator for whatever reason, uh, you know, tone or you know, uh, just the essence of that person's voice is frustrating or annoying for the listener. So I mean, it really points to me um, how important casting is, getting that right voice and the right person in the in the booth reading for, for that book. Who gets to make that decision? Right. Um, well, generally the, the producer of the title, uh, will reach out for, for casting, um, and auditions in conversation with the author. So we do a lot of, um, consultation with the author on, uh, if we're casting, obviously, um, an actor, to, to read the book. So yeah, uh, consult with the author, you know, uh, really try to integrate their ideas about character and, and tone and narrator. Um, of course, if the author, especially in the instance of uh, nonfiction or memoir, 
uh, we'll often go to the author and, and ask if they want to read it themselves. Um, sometimes we'll have the author audition for their own book. Um, that's fun. Um, <laughs> and then they don't get the book. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it hasn't happened too often. I mean, generally, you know, we're all kind of on the same team and, um, authors can, uh, usually identify when they might not be the best voice, even for their own book. Um, uh, because it is really a, a marathon of performance, uh, reading an audiobook. Just a you know a, a detail on something you said earlier about um, an eighteen hour audiobook. You know, like how long does that take to produce? We work off mm. of um, we, we we schedule off of three to one ratios for recording. So a ten hour audiobook, we're going to be looking to schedule about thirty hours of studio time wow. to get that down. And that's you know with that's with a safety buffer uh, in there. Um, so if we need to redo some things or if their reader is having some trouble with some sections, um, we have that buffer in there. So we often don't need the th full 30 hours, but, um, you know, it, it helps to have that, that buffer. Yeah. You can bank on it. Have you run into situations because I'm so curious, uh, where an author is like, yep, hands down, you know, this is a memoir or for whatever reason they want to mm -hmm. be the narrator and you've had to really be mm -hmm. like, uh, may not be the best I mean, we, idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, them. ultimately it is their book. And if they feel very strongly about reading it, then we will do our best to accommodate that. Um, yeah, we don't want uh, an adversarial relationship with the authors because they're really, you know, obviously integral to our process and, yeah. and it's their their work. So, but um, if it's, yeah, it, we might try to dis discourage them gently, but ultimately if they do, or if they're really set on reading their own book, then we'll make accommodations. Well, isn't it cheaper to, like in like production-wise, to have the, 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 the authors narrate their own books? Uh, no, we pay the authors as well. Oh, they still get paid to narrate their own books. They still get a performance uh, fee, yeah. Uh, of course. Yeah. They should. You're right. They That's should. a different yeah. gig, they totally man. Should, yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned yeah. earlier that mm. you also get involved uh, in the engineering part of that. And mm -hmm. what does engineering a session mean for the people who don't know? Sure. Um, so we welcome them into the studio. Um, we have the... We call them scripts, but essentially the the uh, the, the book itself um, on an iPad for them to read. Um, so we're avoiding page turning noises and that sort of thing. Um, right. So we get them all settled in the booth. We get them uh, water, tea, um, all the uh, all the sundries that they need, um, and then we'll set the mic at the right angle so it's uh, you know uh, we we set it somewhat off to the side, pointed down at the mouth to um, minimize some of the mouth noises and different different um, artifacts that we would get from the, uh, you know, recording a human. <laughs> a lot of noises come from a human body. Um, so we get the mic in the right place and uh, we get a, a sound test. We make sure it's sounding good and clear. We've already sent them uh, a bit of a, a brief on what uh, clothing not to wear, you know, we're looking for uh, uh, non-noisy clothing, no jewelry, that sort of thing. Um, we encourage them to have eaten a little bit before they come in so the stomach isn't rumbling. Um, <laughs> but we also, that's uh, serious, it's serious stuff. Um, you know, that the body, when, when you get a microphone in front of a body, you realize that the body is just a big gas bag. You know, it is a noisy, 
noisy, <laughs> gassy lump of meat. And um, as soon as you get a microphone in front of it, all sorts of things, <laughs> all sorts of things can, uh, can, can, can come up and, and kind of disrupt from the read. So uh, we try to minimize all of those things. Um, and then uh, once they're set, settled, we have a nice sound test. Um, as an engineer, I'll, I will establish the remote call with the director. We have a lot of directors now calling in remotely. Um, very few come and attend. So we usually work through Zoom or uh, something like that. Like that. Um, so make sure that the lines of communication on the call are established and cleared so everyone can hear each other. And then I will start recording. They'll start reading. And while they're reading, I am also following along uh, the book with, uh, with an iPad that I'm annotating um, as we go. And the annotations are a shorthand that we use with our editors uh, as a bit of a roadmap to the, to the recording. Hmm. Um, I know a lot of audiobook producers will, will punch in and out on, um, on the recording for mistakes. So the author or, or narrator makes a mistake. They stop the recording, go back, give them a little bit of pre-roll, and then punch in. We don't do that. We keep the recording going. We call it roll record. Um, so if the um, narrator makes a mistake, they just go back to the beginning of the sentence or section and begin again. And following along with that, I will then be making different markings on the script so that the editor, essentially communicating downstream with the editor, um, giving them a roadmap to be able to piece it all together uh, later. What's the advantage of doing it this way, the role recording process, mm -hmm. rather than punching in? It, it goes a lot quicker uh, in the booth. Uh, they're not mm -hmm. waiting for the technology. They're not waiting for the countdown into the section. And, you know, we, we work with some uh, less experienced readers, whether that be an author or an actor that, you know, is tr that we're trying out. And there might be you know, four or five uh, retries of a sentence and um, having to punch in five times on one sentence. Um, it's just a lot. Uh, so it's, it, it just seems much more easier flow for them to have made a mistake and I'll go back to the beginning of the sentence and just restart again. Mm. It's really casual. Probably works better for consistency as well, right? I think so. I mean, there's, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, in the punch-in, you would be giving them, you'd be feeding them a little bit of pre-roll of what they did before so they could actually hear okay. matched tone. But I found um, when you're in the moment and you go back and restart the sentence, your, your, your tone is still where it needs to be, you know, like... Off. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the brain is keeping it sort of like in, in, in that moment. So um, it generally works out really, really well. Yeah. It sounds like it's a very engaging session for the engineer you're not just sitting back and making sure it's recording like you're reading along as you go yeah. would you yeah. say that you have to be a very good reader to do this job especially considering that you have to be so detail oriented making sure that the the commas yeah. are addressed and the yeah the, the i mean it really helps it really helps yeah um i you know i'm an avid reader myself so I, yeah i think i think it really helps um we're also as a, uh, as the engineer we're listening out for noises um and different things mm -hmm. that we, you know, thinking about the downstream editing, we're, we're like, we're keeping our ears open for things that we know cannot be edited, you know, or, you know, problems that will, that, that'll be really challenging to address. It's much easier to um, just redo something in the moment than it is to lean on editing later, right? 
just get it right. Right. In, obviously. In, on the day. Yeah. yeah. So um, make more work for yourself. Yeah. And then also I, I wonder about things like, you know, fatigue, right? Like mm-hmm. you can probably tell bet sometimes better than the narrator yeah. uh, or are more in tuned with or should be ought to be more in tuned with when the narrator is starting to sound tired or yeah. when they're skipping over words or when it, you know, like yeah. things are kind of slipping yeah, yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Do you address? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also, we, we schedule three hour sessions, um, for our audiobooks. Um, so it's a long time. It is a long time, but you know, there are other, there are other, um, audiobook producers that are doing full days, you know, six to eight hours. Um, oh. and we've, we found with, with the talent pool that we have available to us, um, great readers, you know, I can't say enough about some of the readers that we get to work with, but many of them will start to break down, like you said, um, around the three hour mark. So, um, mm. you know, it, it doesn't matter how good of a reader are, they are, you know, something happens to the brain mouth connection yep. about three hours in where it just, just starts to break down and um, the air rate goes like way up. Test. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The air rate goes up and you're just, you're just getting, you know, uh, diminishing returns at that point. So we generally mm-hmm. uh, at that point, um, but yeah, it, it happens to most people. So nothing to be ashamed of <laughs> it takes a superhuman to yeah. read eight hours a day let me tell right. you it also takes a lot of preparation not just from the narrator but also from the engineer's point of view like what kind of preparation is needed for uh, for any given audiobook yeah well the engineer doesn't necessarily have to have read the the book before the session um in fact a fresh year can uh can be beneficial um so there there's that sort of pre-session prep for the engineer but a lot of the book prep um for the project itself is is uh in the hands of the director and the narrator themselves um the narrator will come in often with their own annotations their own markup uh on their script um where you know they've already put in their sort of um hills and valleys and tone notes and different things that they want to hit um and, and the director and the narrator are working together in, in the session to make sure that they are hitting the narrative uh, points that the author has set out in the text and really trying to make sense of the text and making sure it's landing where it should with the listener. Um, and, and, and as you can imagine, you know, there's a lot of choices to be made in those sessions. Um, right down to tone and character, characterization, character voices, how far to lean into accents. Um, you know, there's a lot of prep that goes into pronunciations. Um, we have the honor of, of doing a lot of indigenous uh, author written books. And um, we, we really try to do our research and make sure that all of the, the words that um, are coming up that we don't uh, that we don't have a lot of experience with. We're, we're making sure that we're finding the right pronunciations. Um, and so, you know, uh, and that includes not just um, resources on the internet, as you'd imagine, but also approaching and talking with uh, people in communities um, that have uh, language knowledge and language keepers, mm. and uh, really trying to you know, find the authentic voices for these, these, uh, these books. So nutshell it for us, Caleb, mm-hmm. how many people are listening to the audiobook um, before it gets into the consumer's hands? So mm-hmm. there's obviously whoever's in session with the narrator mm-hmm. and then the editor. Is there anybody else that we've missed or, you know, down the conveyor belt 
that's listening and QCing this stuff before it gets out? Yeah. So we have um, two phases of post-production. One is the edit. Um, and so they're identifying issues and, and problems and we'll go back and we'll re-record for those issues. And then it goes to a, a whole other set of ears, whole other person um, to proof the book, proof the edit. Um, it's more of a, it's a less technical uh, role, but it's, 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 it's more listening, proofing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we have that last, that last sort of um, net to catch any, um, any problems. So yeah, so that, let's see, that's one, two, three in the, in the session, the editor and the proofer and the producer themselves will often listen to, um, to the recording. So that's about six people, six people, six set of ears on an audio book. That's wild. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're working with a, a new narrator or somebody who's not as experienced as a pro, what are some of the common issues that, that they come across? Sure. Um, well, um, uh, pacing is a, is a, is a big issue. Often inexperienced readers will read too fast. Um, mm. and we, we have to be slowing them down. You'd think that was like a more advanced skill. No <laughs> <laughs> reading fast. Just kidding. I, I yeah. have a bunch of, of bias here. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Well, uh, yeah, they know they might be nervous or, uh, feeling a little bit uh, insecure and, and that all that, you know, that, that sort of body stress will come out in, in, in reading too fast. <laughs> so um, often mm. we're slowing them down. Um, I often talk about a Goldilocks pace for readers. Every reader seems to have a Goldilocks pace mm. where you get them to slow down so that their error rate goes down. And you can see it happen. When you get them to that Goldilocks pace, suddenly they're not making as many mistakes. They're making mm. more sense of the sentences. You know, they're hitting all of their 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 cues, uh, if you will, um, and often it's a little slower than, you know, the what inex- they think. Yeah, exactly. The inexperienced ear might be thinking, "Is this too slow?" But you have to realize, you know, yep. when we're in the recording session, we all have scripts in front of us, right? So, yeah, sure, we know what's going on because we have text to um, to reinforce what we're hearing. But the average listener won't have that text, so a slower pace um, is actually. Uh, you know, beneficial to for that audio to land, for all those details in the in the text to land with the listener, um, is often requires a little bit of a slower pace. Um, but that, having said that, though, of course, we all know that some listeners listen at one point five or even two. Yeah, yeah. So then it's counterintuitive. Then we go yeah. speed it up after. Yeah, those people they can have that. You know, that that's fine. Uh, we're producing for the people that actually want to luxuriate and, and enjoy the listening experience and not just cram in a bunch of information. Um, not to, you know, I, I don't want to take away from anybody's experience. You, you know, how you experience audiobooks is totally up to you. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think, I think we're more producing for the, the, the slower listener. <laughs> no, but this is interesting. Um, somebody who was on the show previously described uh, listening to like a faster rate as like, it just matches the, speed at which their brain works at so they literally yep. understand better that said okay to yeah. 2x i don't know about that no, right. no. but but yeah. it makes sense oh, because the average fast. audiobook is read like very slowly and do you think that's mm-hmm. specifically yes. because producers know that the average listener speeds up their books no i mean 
it's more it, it, it's, we're really dealing more with with um the aesthetics of of the book itself um, oh interesting not thinking okay. too much not thinking too much down downstream about listener habits i mean th- they do play a bit into our sort of overall decision making but um no we just want something to sound good at one time speed um, and what people do with it after is is out of our hands um yeah do we have any numbers on that do we have any numbers on how many people speed up books <laughs> i haven't seen any surveys no. i would love to I just know. anecdotal <laughs> Yeah. Like just based on the community members we get on the show, I'd say everybody. But yeah, yeah, no, basically everybody. Mm-hmm. Basically everybody. They're all speeding it up. Is, is that your anecdotal? Uh, your anecdotal feedback is that everyone's speeding it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How does that make you feel? We ask people directly. Yeah. Do you think that you should now change the approach because of this? Uh, heck no! I'm going to slow it down even more. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Watch ten years. We see how you take constructive feedback, Caleb. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Counteracting the one point five, we're gonna slow it down by fifty (laughs) percent. I swear, I'm gonna pay hyper attention to how uh, Penguin Random House is releasing now. (laughs) But anyway, um, how about big name narrators? Are you allowed to show anybody out that not allowed to? Like we could go find them ourselves. But for you, anybody who's Uh stuck with you um, for big names or even audiobooks that went out that you're like, hey, I worked on yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, we we get to work with some of the some of the more uh, celebrity Canadian authors. Um, so let's see, I worked with Margaret Atwood. Um, oh wow! I just did a book with Rick Mercer. That was a lot of fun. Um, Michael nice. An- Michael Andati. Uh, I just found out that I've been saying his name wrong uh, my entire life. Oh, no. It's not Andache, it's Andachi. Uh, right from the man himself. Um, we got to work with him. Because you mispronounced of... it to his face? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was very sweet. He was very sweet. Like, uh, man, he, yeah, he was he was very sweet mm-hmm. when he directed us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, we have Paul Gross coming in to read a book. Um, and uh, some of the... Uh, some of the people in uh, accounting are, are really excited about that. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, no, so that kind of level of, I guess, celebrity, if you will. Um, yeah, a lot of the like the bigger, the bigger names, like international Hollywood celebrity type books, they get generally produced in the states. Um, so oh, we, we don't right. we don't see the big big A listers. Not to disparage mm-hmm. Atwood and and Dachi, of course, uh, but. No. Yeah. They're lit. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I guess because you worked with a lot of different kinds of narrators, I'm assuming a lot of different genres as well, do you notice differences in how you work with narrators or how you give feedback, you know, based on their experience level, based on what you know you need to put out as a product and the kinds of notes that you need to give? Uh, does it get awkward or difficult or challenging even where you are now? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, working with with um, actors and narrators um, can be challenging. I mean, you really need to be very sensitive um, to their process and to how the human brain works, <laughs> mm. um, especially when it comes to um, you know errors and and and. Uh, the psychology of a performance um uh, you know yeah. my, my, my background is in is in music and producing for music and working with a vocalist for instance is a lot of parallels with working with a reader um because you're asking them to do 
something difficult and exposing. And um, sometimes, you know, we're working with a, an author who's reading their book and they're reading a memoir and there's a lot of difficult, difficult content in the, in the memoir. Um, and uh, sometimes it's the first time they've ever said these things out loud, if you will, right. you know, and it's a very different experience from writing and, you know, uh, solitary writing to then be giving voice to some of these stories and knowing that people are getting hearing them, you know, it, it very much makes it real for some of them. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it really is really crucial that we're we're sensitive to their process, um, and uh, you know the conditions that they're working in. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a lot of psychology. It's a lot of um, making sure they have what sensitivity. They, yeah, yeah, making right. sure they have what they need in terms of resources. Um, making sure they're feeling supported. So we're you know we're doing the research. We're making sure that they have the clips and the pronunciations that they need. Um, you know, obviously encouragement and, um, you know, making sure that they feel like they, uh, we're on their team, uh, and that there's no judgment going on, uh, with the right. mistakes and that sort of thing, you know? And yeah. how would you like approach a narrator with a, a correction or a suggestion with sensitivity as to not affect their performance? Right. Um, I mean, Hmm. That's a great question. Um, it can change. I mean, the language that I'll use with a reader will change depending on who they are in their process um, and sort of the general confidence level of, of the read. You know, with some of these seasoned actors, you can really be very straight and, and talk about, I don't think we hit this as strongly as we needed to. Um, this needs to be made more sense of, whereas maybe a little more inexperienced reader I'll just, um, I'll be giving them sort of, it, it's kind of like hmm, a great reader is they're delivering 85, 90% of what you want. Like the if the casting has been done well and that, mm -hmm. that reader is hitting things and things are going well, then, then ideally you're just working on that last 10% with them. Right. And then mm, the, the wonderful yeah. thing about a professional reader is that you can ask them to go back and, and, and you'd be like, okay, so that paragraph was great, but 75% was great. I want you to hit this and this and this and change this and this and this. And, right. a, and a professional reader will be able to deliver that 75% that you liked consistently and then change that last 25% for you. Mm -hmm. That's really the difference between a professional and an amateur. It's like a professional will be able to tweak those things, keep the things that you liked the same, and then tweak the things that you want to change. Right. Like they're hearing what you're saying. Yeah, and, and they're used to using their their voice as an instrument, right? And so mm -hmm. they are used to um, manipulating it in the way that they need to um, get what they get what we want. Um, a professional reader um, generally will be reading ahead. It's it's an amazing thing to watch. Um, uh, they might be in the middle of a sentence, but their eyes at the end of the sentence, so they already see what's happening their mouth is behind their eyes um we all do this as readers to a certain extent our eyes are generally if we're reading a lot our eyes are generally one or two words ahead of our mouth mm -hmm. right but a professional reader can be three or four words ahead of their mouth if you can imagine that so yeah so they're like deliberately processing and spitting it out 
yeah. while they're already visually ahead. Well, you need That's to. Right. So, so interesting. So, so uh, the, the sentence doesn't sound like a surprise, right? You can tell right. when someone's reading and they're reading something for the first time and it's, you know, the, the sentence is a surprise to them. And as, yes, a, and as a listener, yes. as a listener, that could be really off-putting. It feels very red, right? Um, oh, definitely. Right. It feels very dictated. Or hesitant. Yeah. You can tell. You can tell in Pormans. And actually, like, you know, for those of us who do a little bit of voice work, it, we, when we listen back, we're like, oh, I can tell I was not prepared for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and generally, you know, I mean, there's allowances for that. We go back and we redo it, you know, until we, until we feel yeah. satisfied with you getting it. But but a really great reader. But there's won't, a skill set. Yeah. They won't need to go back because they already hit it that first time because they're seeing the sentence before they're reading it. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing to watch. So, um, yeah, there is that. Yeah. So getting back to your original question, um, I will really tailor our, our feedback to who we're dealing with, um, on that day. We're here with Caleb Stahl. He is the technical director at the audio program for Penguin Random House Canada. Stick with us. We'll be right back with a lot more. I'm Jacob Shamansky. You're listening to AMI Audiobook Review. We'll be right back. Welcome back to AMI Audiobook Review. I'm Jacob Shamansky here with Ramya Amuthan and our guest, Caleb Stahl. He's the technical director for the audio program at Penguin Random House Canada. Caleb, there's a few more things we want to get to before we have to wrap with you. There's lots. Yeah, there's so much. Uh, number one, multi-narration. Okay, yeah. we talk about this a lot on the show with preference in mind, but how does it work from a technical point of view? Do you get everybody in the studio? Are they back and forthing? Do they hear each other's performances mm. or has it become a lot more remote? Yeah, it's become a lot more remote, I think. Um, we don't generally have actors in the studio at the same time um, unless there's a back and forth. We will try to get them in. Like if there's an actual dialogue between two actors um, where, you know, it's a conversation, then, we, then we'll try to get them in the same time. But if they're just, if they're just reading sections separately, um, then just for ease of scheduling and, you know, we have to um, integrate into an actor's schedule. So we'll have them come in uh, separately. Uh, and then sort it out in editing. <laughs> but um, we, we, we also, you know, provide clips of if something else, is, if another actor has already recorded their bits, we'll provide clips for the second actor coming in so they at least have some sort of reference for that back and forth. Um, but, uh, yeah, generally it, it has to be sort of like Lego uh, in that we um, complete a block and then fit it into the larger piece later, if you will. Uh, but um, multi-voice narration really becoming very hot these days. Uh, we're doing a lot more of it. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, I, I like it. it. It provides a little bit more on the, uh, the back end for production uh, in terms of what we what we need to do for the title. But, um, you know, uh, I think it can end a lot, uh, lend a lot to the listening experience. Yeah. It must significantly affect how how difficult it is to produce though for everyone involved you have mm. to cast a lot more people the editing mm -hmm. is probably much more of a nightmare as well and linking up people uh remotely were yeah, there a little it, bit yeah a little bit yeah. were there yeah. and not too much not too much i mean it doesn't offer as much complexity i think maybe as is as, as you're inferring we would just huh. kind of treat it as another session and the editor um you know that they're really um astute with 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 putting together desperate 
uh, sessions together and making it sound seamless. Um, yeah. Were there any projects you worked on that presented some unique challenges? Yeah, we tend to not overproduce um, sound-wise our titles um, in terms of music and sound effects and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. We've yeah. sort of stepped away from the radio play sort of aesthetic and we kind of we kind of deliver more of a stripped down, really center the text. That's kind of our, our, our creative mandate is to really center the author's words and not try to uh, put a lot of uh, ornamentation on it. Now, that being said, though, that some some projects really, um, you know, in discussion with the author, have decided to go the other way and, and do a lot more sound design music um effects and that sort of thing and some of those have been a lot of fun because a lot more a lot more creative you know creation um involved in those um and so we've had you know singers come in vocalizations sound effects that sort of thing and uh those can be a lot of fun they they do require more uh on the production end but they're generally a lot of fun so we don't mind uh, mm -hmm. there's also a challenge with picture books we've been trying to get into picture books um and sort of navigating how much to present in the book audio-wise hmm. when it comes to graphics or other uh, visuals, pictures, uh, that sort of thing. Oh, that's like uh, audio description. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. In some ways, in, in some instances, we have we've done that. Other instances, we've we've delivered a PDF with with some of the graphics. Or when it comes to um, audio description for visuals, I mean that's a whole other thing that requires really, you know, signing off by the author themselves because we don't want to add text to the book without their approval. So that mm. creates um, a bit more work on our end uh, in terms of getting them to write um, whole cloth, you know, audio descriptions of, of their pictures. Yeah. Do you have any, when you said overproduced, I think of, um, how production levels, audio quality, obviously all of this stuff has gotten just incredible, right? Mm -hmm. Compared to, as we say, like huge audiobook consumers, mm -hmm. um, back when it was volunteer readers at a studio, mm -hmm. you turn on a mic, you hear the flipping of pages and sipping of water and coughing and something <laughs> and whatever else you get, right? right? Like people recording next to you. But um, with all the production availability and the, the cleanup of, of audio available to you, do you feel that there is such thing as overproducing aka you know like removing breath or oh, yeah. something like that you mm -hmm. know like where we're not necessarily sounding natural anymore mm -hmm. or organic or whatever other word that people where you're sounding suspiciously this. like ai even though you're not uh, right right yeah. ro you know or like too robotic yeah, yeah. Oh, i'm surprised it's taken us this long for the ai word to be well we've, we've been holding we're getting back. Uh -huh, right <laughs> we'll get yeah. there um but uh yeah I, I i definitely have uh aesthetic tolerances and um we for instance we like to keep the breaths in as long as they're not really disruptive to the read uh and distracting mm -hmm. but i like the idea of the human element of our of our work um and just generally when it comes to ai we want to keep hiring and working with humans for as long as they will let us and uh i don't it's mind not take yeah i don't i don't mind centering the human experience even in even in the performance um obviously we're we're, we're doing our best to take out distracting noises and things that aren't 
contributing to the overall um, right. experience. But when it comes to like, oh, this is a human reading this this book, that all I'm all for that. You know, I, I, I like I like the you know the old fashioned aesthetic of someone just sitting beside you around a campfire telling you a story. You know. Mm. Um, <laughs> And when it comes to like say overproduction, that word, I don't want to disparage any, you know, of of uh, the the productions out there that are making use of sound effects and that sort of thing. It's just not something we um, have decided to go uh, direction wise. Yeah, and I just think of it on a more you know detailed level, right? Like, did mm-hmm. we compress the heck out of this audio? Oh sure, yeah. It well, it's like yeah. you know compression. Uh, great, sounds great. Uh, you know, FM radio announcer sounds great all um squeezed and you know uh bass boosted and things like that but when it comes to listening to a single voice for 10 hours yeah um i find that that over that over compression gets really fatiguing exhausting yeah yeah. yes and so our tech specs are really very conservative uh when it comes to like level delivery um so that the experience is dynamic obviously most people are listening on earbuds they might be in a a loud environment so there's a balance there uh in terms of delivering a manageable dynamic range so that someone can hear your book over the train but also you don't want to squash it so that you know they're like being repelled by the sound of it after a couple hours right so there's a balance there for sure so ai we know where you stand on this, but <laughs> what is it like? What have you heard in AI read audiobooks that doesn't float with you? Right. Well, I think, I mean, judging them on their aesthetics right now is, I think, kind of a moot point. They're going to get better. They're going to, I think, they're going to get to the point where they have lifted enough of the speaking experience from the files that they're scrubbing that they will be able to deliver an audiobook experience is indistinguishable from a human experience, a human read audiobook. I think that's inevitable. So, <clears throat> but what it really comes down to, I think for me is, is feel. Um, and knowing that, um, um, the latest research that I've seen is that when people are aware that they're consuming AI created content, they are not, comfortable with it like i've seen i've seen the surveys that over half of listeners are uncomfortable when they know it's ai whether they know it's ai though (laughs) becomes the question um that is it so uh, i know i when i talk to actors and in unions um i and i i think i i know that they're doing this in their in the latest sort of agreements that they've been going on strike for and things like that is that they're talking about labeling laws and making sure that the the listener is informed uh, about the content that they're that they're consuming, whether it's AI created or, or human voiced. That's fair. Um, I'm yeah, all for right? that. Like, At least labeling it that yeah. it's AI, because I would exactly. not be comfortable. I would be pretty mad if they told me that if they didn't warn me that it was an AI voice and I just fell. For I it. think so. Really? I, I'll be mad. I liken it to to nutritional information on food, right? Um, <laughs> fair. Um, that uh, it, uh, it, it's it's. Of course, you know, there's no like law that's going to force them, but we as consumers, the actors unions, they have the leverage there um, to to set some some guidelines, because I know I know that the platforms are just waiting to flood the market with AI content because it's it's going to be it's going to be cheaper. Right. It's going to be cheaper. Um, I think a lot of the 
the sort of self-published stuff, um, a lot of sort of the lower tier, smaller imprints, I think they will go that way. You know, I, I won't say their names, but the bigger platforms, they will start doing this. They already have started doing it. They have. It's a matter of the quality of the yeah. AI. I think that you yeah. know, so many standards are really about just the quality of the production that's being put out. And once right. the AI voice gets there, you know, we're mm -hmm. we're transitioning so quickly now. It's hard to fight against it because not only are we just saying AI voices generically, but we're saying, and here is the AI version of this person's voice. And yeah. you know. Oh. If you, can't necessarily I mean, that's a whole other can of worms about rights and voice I rights know. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I'll to give you a little bit of an anecdote, though. Um, so we we produced a book that within the narration, the the main character is a is a poet that is set to write a poem with AI in the book, and we thought, oh, this would be an interesting opportunity for us to maybe try some AI voices as the AI in the book. We cast AI as AI in the book, right? Makes sense. Uh -huh. And I was playing around with some of the generative models. Um, and I just couldn't get it to fit and to do what we wanted it to do. Um, and we realized that it was so much easier to have an actor come in and do it. And <laughs> pretend to be AI? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what? Because, that? because I, I could speak with an actor in, a, we talk about tone, pacing, aesthetics, and they right. get, they can references and they get exactly what I want within seconds, yes. right? Yes. And I'm not having to sit there and come up with the perfect prompt to get this that robot to do what I want. <laughs> like humans up to this point are easier to work with um, when it comes to that. Ooh. I mean, if, if your aim mm. is to make something good, you know, we're all mm. literature lovers here. We love books. We want to make something good. We want to make art if we can. Um, yeah. We're not, our, you know, our, our mandate is not to you know, shove a bunch of volume out into the marketplace and just try to, you know, monetize it. We're trying to make good stuff here. And so part of our process is bringing in the right people and the human touch cannot be uh, overstated uh, in its mm. value and its value to making good stuff. And um, you mentioned you know, it like, earlier, like the importance of getting tone and feel right, where there's often yeah. cues exactly. in the writing where a certain li line yeah. of dialogue is meant to be said with like sarcasm or with like, yeah. a, it's like a glib retort. And those being able to switch up and being able to switch up. Yeah, exactly. And those details yeah. are really hard for AI to recreate. And mm. if there comes a time when they can actually recreate different tones of voice different emotions within dialogue mm. i i have my doubts it, like yeah how is it even going to work i'm, I'm i mean skeptic. you know like ah. like books are, are a connective experience you know between reader listener author listener those are those are very human connections that we're trying to make yeah um and sticking a robot in the middle of that process just feels uh antithetical to to our to our aims yeah. you know yeah. Um, you know, this is this. I really appreciate the sentiment because I will say I've had so many discussions about AI and reads and audiobooks, and I've I've really held a you know a, a kind of a cynical point of view on like I don't know how long we're going to last with human narrators, but I will say, Caleb, like this is very. I really appreciate this perspective on just the connectivity. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know, we're not just it's not just robots delivering audiobooks. It's literally. Um, we're being intercepted by a non-human connection. Yeah. yeah, 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 right. Um, 
Yeah, and and um, you know, they they call books you know empathy machines, right? Um, I think it's a great <laughs> yeah. a great way to think about them. Um, and that sort of connective connection that we're trying to foster is is an is kind of an analog experience. You know, it's like yeah, we want we've we, already fostered for generations yeah, and generations, like right? storytelling, exactly. Right? Yeah, you know, going back to mm. the basics of, of sitting down with someone and them telling you a story. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we have so many, so many technical abstractions in our life now that are layers and layers away from the human experience um, and, and the sort of personal connective uh, experience. And so, you know, it, it's, it's not about how good the audiobook, how good the AI is going to get. It's going to get good. That's not the question. It's really about our choices and what we want for ourselves. Wow. As, as so deep as <laughs> I'm getting too deep here. Uh, but it is, it's, it's up to us in our choices and, and how we want to experience art and, and the world. Um, right. mm-hmm. Like who wants know? this? Who wants AI to yeah. take over everything? Sure. It's cool. There are this? benefits. I guess but the, who wants this? Like on exactly. Principle. Well, the bean counters, yeah. the bean counters, the, 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 the yep. those that, those um, institutions and, mm-hmm. and, and companies that have monetized, you know, art, um, it's, it's, it's about money, unfortunately. I mean, money makes... Yeah. Make, I mean, there's an accessibility argument for everything as well, right? Oh, like yeah. More yeah. numbers, uh, yeah, more but, products, more I, accessibility. That's a but, really yeah. important point. Absolutely. Like, getting things audioized, I do not... I will, would certainly not blame anyone for, for looking for technology to audio, audioize and make accessible um, that which wouldn't be otherwise necessarily. Um, that's a whole other discussion. And, um, I, I think AI actually is really a great tool for that. Um, sure. you know, you need a, you need a contract written, you know, read out to you, AI, great, you know, um, that sort yeah. of thing. But when it comes to making something artful, um, I don't know, you know, Anyway, yeah. longer discussion. Anyway, anyway, I, I know we got to pause it like this is really an ellipsis, but uh, we got to let you go. But this has been so insightful. Jacob, any last words for Caleb? No, honestly, like, this uh, is... bring you back again next time. Oh, my God. Can we please? Yeah, we, we're not done with you. I swear we want to have you on. As well. <laughs> Can we please? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm open to it. I love talking about audiobooks. People can't shut me up. So <laughs> okay. oh, this was great. And you have some fantastic perspective on the whole AI situation like Ramya mentioned. Mm. But thank you mm-hmm. so much for giving us your time. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Our guest today was Caleb Stull, the technical re- director of the audiobook programming at Penguin Random House Canada. He's involved in many of the stages of production for the audiobooks that they produce out of their studios in Toronto. Oh my God, I need to practice my reads after this conversation. Anyways, that's it for we'll this week on AMI Audiobook. No, no. Our choices, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of AMI Audiobook Review with myself, Ramia Amuddin, Jacob Shymansky, and Nisreen Abdel Majid. You can call us 1 866 509 4545. Give us your thoughts on the show and answer all our questions that we have for you, like book club questions. Also, Next week, tune in because we have Know Your Narrator with Sarah Hillis and our Sela chat with Karen McKay and Teresa Power. Until next time, happy audiobook listening.
Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.